Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, I'm one of the, the few blessed enough to have good insurance. Even when I look at GoodRx, even there are some times when they beat my insurance prices. So like, it doesn't matter whether you are insured, uninsured, underassured, whatever the case may be, start by checking the prices on GoodRx. Trust me, you're going to be surprised. So for simple, smart savings on your prescriptions, check GoodRx. Go to GoodRx.com slash milkshake. That's GoodRx dot com slash milkshake goodrx.com slash milkshake goodrx is not insurance but can be used instead of insurance in fact in 2021 goodrx users saved an average of 79 percent on retail prescription prices Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey, milkshakers. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I am Rain Wilson. And I'm uh, Reza Aslan. And um, I, uh, God, you know, I'm sorry. I know I've got this. Script right here on this Google Doc right mm. in front of me to read from, but I'm I'm gonna put that aside. Reza, can I just? I'm a little distracted. Can I say something? Sure. What? Reza Sylvester Aslan. Not my middle name. You're looking a little peaked today. Yeah, I, I'm a little worried about you. I mean, you know, I was just like watching CNN and. You know, Ukraine. Wait, is you're being watching the bombed. network that fired you? Yeah, those bastards. First of all, that's a that's a problem. But yeah, normally you're like a seven, but today you're like a you're like a hard six, if that, a five point five. You're looking like looking a little worse for wear. What's going on? I, I gotta be honest with you, you man. Just, I'm a little bit uh I'm a little bit upset at just the world, the state of everything that's going on in this country and you know, the land war in Europe. What the fuck? Like, where are we? What, what year is this? What decade is this? Partisanship here. The government's broken. People suck. Sometimes I got to tell you, man, I just feel like I feel like stepping stepping off this world, going and being a monk or something, like go live in a monastery somewhere, just kind of, you know, meditate all day long, do nothing else. Yeah. Well, you know what, Reza, I got some news for you. That's not going to work. It's not going to cut it. What, what do you mean? Like that sounds like a great. No, 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 no. Today's monks. Today's monks are different. Today's monks don't just sit up in their monasteries, staring at their navels and watching the sunrise. They are actively participating in the community of monks, in building community, in their meditation and mindfulness practice, so that they can become 
activist monks and bring that into the world to help alleviate suffering on a daily basis, on a global scale. Yeah, that sounds like too much work. I just thought maybe I would eat tofu and, you know, meditate and stuff. No, you thought it was like going on a cruise or something. Why don't you just go on a cruise? Huh. That's actually... All right, that that sounds better. I was thinking about becoming a monk, but maybe I'll just go on a carnival cruise instead. Problem solved. Carnival cruise for two weeks. <laughs> there you go to the Bahamas, to Bermuda. That problem solved. Look at that. That's how we solve. Inner boom. Boom. We do have a couple of monks today. Uh, this is exciting. This is our first episode with four participants, by the way. Mm. So that should be interesting. We have uh, Brother Fapu and Sister True Dedication. Both are monks from the Plum Village Monastery. Both are uh, uh, acolytes of the recently departed uh, Master Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the famous peace activist monk. And um, they have some really uh, exciting resumes. Sister Hien Nigiem, who or True Dedication, is was the editor of several of Thich Nhat Hanh's books and is a leading voice in a new generation of young monastics. She's from the United Kingdom, previously studied history and political thought at Cambridge, worked as a journalist at BBC, and then was ordained at the age of 27 and became a Dharma teacher in 2016. And she helped to found the international wake-up movement a community of young meditators who are finding new ways to combine mindfulness and engage in Buddhism. She has a wonderful TED Talk from 2021 called Three Questions to Build Resilience and Change the World. We've also got Brother Fapu, who was born in Vietnam, then emigrated to Canada, and he first encountered Thai, or Thich Nhat Hanh, and the monastic community as a nine-year-old when he traveled from Canada to Plum Village, France. He knew he wanted to become a monk. By the age of 12, this guy was destined to become a monk. And for 15 years, accompanied Thich Nhat Hanh as his personal assistant on his international teaching tours and as his attendant. Please welcome Sister True Dedication and Brother Fapu. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. Hi, we are here to be with you. And we're very happy about it. (laughs) Uh, We couldn't be happier. And uh, ever since I met you at that TED Environment uh, Climate Conference um, in uh, in Edinburgh, I knew we had to have you on the show. And um, I got so much out of meeting you, about hearing your TED Talks. We did a, a, a short little workshop, I don't know if you remember, on forgiveness that was really powerful and moving. Um, and uh, whatever you wisdom that you have, we could sure use over here <laughs> across the pond, as they say. So um, we're just couldn't be more thrilled to have you. That's right. Yes, we're really excited about this conversation. And, and you know, before we begin, we just wanted to kind of begin by just, you know, giving you our condolences about um, the passing of Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, he's such an incredible and important figure for so many people. For those in our audience who maybe are unfamiliar with um, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, he is a spiritual leader, a peace advocate, um, 
someone that Martin Luther King Jr. actually nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in, in 1967. Uh, King actually said about Thich Nhat Hanh, his ideas for peace, if applied, would build a monument to ecumenism, to world brotherhood, and to humanity. Um, we're obviously very familiar uh, with his work and his legacy, but as, as you know, two individuals who were very close to him and his teachings and, and learned so much from him, how would you summarize and describe his life, his work, his legacy? I'll start. Um he is the embodiment of peace. I first came to Plum Village in 1996. I was very young, only nine years old. I wouldn't say I understand the Dharma that much, but what I got from the first trip to France in that retreat was meeting someone who is walking his talk. So the way he was walking, the way he looked at us, the way he um, invited us for a cup of tea, the way he ate lunch with us, it was really the practice of mindfulness in action. So for me, um, you have described him as a peace activist, as um, a spiritual leader. Um, but for me, what I would definitely say is he is a teacher that has a lot of understanding and a lot of love. And he was able to translate the deepest teaching of Buddhism into everyday language, which is how do you become happy just by brushing your teeth? <laughs> how are you enjoying the sunshine that you experience today? He gave us these key teachings to make our own life more beautiful what I really appreciate about him was he was so down to earth. And I think this is something that not a lot of people get to see. Um, I had the great honor of being his personal attendant for over 15 years. So wow. I would have tea with him, um, go on walks with him. And he was very encouraging. And he's always somebody who is telling us that you have the capacity to be an awakened person. You are someone who has all of these qualities inside that are just waiting to manifest. And he is the gardener that helps us see these flowers, see these plants, as well as see the weeds and see um, <laughs> the, the branches that needs to be cleaned up. Um, so for me, he was a living teaching of mindfulness, a living teaching of nonviolence, of peace mm -hmm. and of love. That's beautiful. Sister True Dedication, I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. And um, uh, Brother Fapu talked about finding happiness while brushing your teeth. So is what you're saying, because the, the, the point of our conversation with you is like, how do we find peace in an insane world? This is the life's big question that we would love to dig into with you. So are you saying you don't need to be a monk to find inner peace? One can find inner peace while brushing one's teeth and living slapdash in the modern world? So I think peace is made of moments of peace, right? And then all of us have a chance to create those moments of peace wherever we are. And here in the monastery, we're just trying to string a lot of them together. And we have a lot of very supportive conditions, but we're just as human as you all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so we are also 
actively creating the moments of peace. I think peace is not something that comes from the outside necessarily. It's a response to a situation. It's a response to our interpersonal dynamics at work or at home. It's our response to what we're seeing on our screens and watching in the world. So peace is maybe a way of being, a way of responding. It's not something that kind of comes at you from the outside. And for me, when we talk about what our teacher's great impact has been, what his influence has been, for me, it's it's like, it's hard to find the words, but I would just say a, a kind of legendary man of peace. Like yeah. I think it's very rare in one lifetime that you can have a chance. And for me, I just feel so lucky that in my lifetime, I've had a chance to like be alive at the same time as this person, to be able to receive teachings from, <laughs> from him. And, and that's just extraordinary. And so, yeah, I, th- I think he's the pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. <laughs> wait, but wait, wait, Reza, Reza, I just think that was the quote of the day. He's pretty Our cool. sister, True Dedication, <laughs> saying that he's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think, that's going to be his new like slogan. Uh, Take that high. Pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. Folks, you know this. Most coffee is dull, stale, and frankly, questionably sourced. But it's easy to get stuck in a rut and drink what you always have. So instead of standing in front of all the options in your grocery store, let Trade Coffee help you find something new to love. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beef. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...from America's best independent roasters. And then they ship it free to you as often as you like, whether you want it whole beans or ground. Whether you're a coffee nerd or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. This is how it works. You take this coffee quiz and then Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love the first bag that you get or they'll replace it for free. Trade has been featured by the New York Times, Wired, GQ, and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee. Their subscription is no hassle. You can skip shipments, change your frequency, or you can cancel at any time. I mean, Rain, you took the, the coffee quiz, right? I took the coffee quiz, yeah. I, you know, I've been uh, drinking a lot of decaf, but I took it with my wife, and we got, I forget what happened. You choose the kind of the flavors you like, et cetera, how you take your coffee, et yeah. cetera. And it is fantastic. It's a subscription service to coffee. How come we didn't think of that? We could have been been billionaires by now. And for our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash milkshake. So it's very easy to get started. Go to drinktrade.com slash milkshake. Take the very, very fun coffee quiz, and then you can start your journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com slash milkshake for $20 off your first three bags. 
Hey, milkshakers, is your company or business having a tough time hiring the people you need? This is a crazy workplace environment. What do they call it? The great resignation? The great resignation. Everybody is changing jobs. Everybody is like leaving yeah. work. It's hard to afford the right people. It's hard to find the right people. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. But uh, it's hard to keep up on your hiring. And Workable, Workable helps all types of companies with this issue. There's 46% more jobs being posted than before the pandemic. That's crazy. And there are 44% fewer candidates applying to each one. So you need to find the right candidates and hire them fast. And Workable can help. Workable accelerates every step of your hiring process from find to hire. Workable helps you cast the widest net possible by posting your jobs to all the top job boards, more than 200 of them, by the way. With one click, it helps you evaluate and hire quickly with modern tools like video interviews and e-signatures. And Workable will help you automate repetitive tasks like scheduling interviews so you can spend your time on what's important, which is making hires. So whether you're hiring for your coffee shop or your podcast or your engineering team, Workable is exactly what you need to hire the right people fast. Start hiring today with a risk-free 15-day trial. If you hire during the trial, which many do, it won't yep. cost you a thing. Just Ooh, go to get Workable. On yep, Workable.com to start hiring. Workable is hiring made easy. You know, we were talking about, Rain was asking about, you know, does one need to become a monk to find inner peace? And I think that's kind of one of the, the, the great message of, of Thich Nhat Hanh is that, no, I mean, that's just like, we're all responsible for that. We can all find it in our own worlds and stuff. But I do think that it's it's so interesting because people, people have this strange impression of monks. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that, right? Like if you just walk through an airport in your robes, I'm sure you get enough looks from people. Because I think we understand kind of how one becomes a rabbi or how one becomes a priest or how one becomes a pastor or whatever. But then we don't really know, like, how do you, how does one become a monk? Like, do you, you know, do you sign up on Craigslist? Uh, you know, what do you, are you responsible for your own robe? <laughs> like, you got to BYOR, bring your own robe. You know, I think they're like, available on on Amazon. You you get you can get them on Amazon. I wouldn't be surprised they're, if you can find robes on Amazon nowadays. No, but. It's, it's, well, the pandemic, we're all basically wearing robes now uh, all day all day long. Uh, you know, do you shave your own head? Do you have your friends shave your heads? Do you shave each other's heads? Inquiring minds want to know is what we're trying to say here. How do you become a monk? How does that so, work? So let's start. Um, First, you have to have an aspiration in order to become a monastic. It's, it's not something that you, you wake up and you're like, I want to be a monk today. Um, that wasn't my case. But um, we, we speak about a spiritual dimension. Um, our teacher talks a lot about this. He says that everyone needs a spiritual dimension in their life. And it, and a spiritual dimension doesn't mean you have to be Buddhist or it doesn't even have to be a religion mm. because for us, being mindful of your breath, allowing your body and your mind to be united, that is a spiritual dimension. And we go on a quest to, to find a way to become a more beautiful human being. And for me, and all of us who are monastic here 
at some point, it led us to Plum Village. It led us to a retreat in the Plum Village tradition. And we're, we're going to encounter this community, the teachings, the way of life. And it might spark something deep down in our deepest aspiration that tells us that this is the path that we want to embark in and we want to invest 110% of our energy into. And that's the first part. And the way it goes is then you write a letter to the community, you share about your aspiration. And then the community has a program called the Aspirant Program. It's like internship. So you get trained for one year. So you have you, monk you, internships. We have monastic internship. It's not as wow. easy as it sounds to get in, but it's not okay, that difficult okay. also. Um, yeah. But you live the life as a layperson. A layperson is like you reign with hair and a beard and we don't expect you to shave it. But mm-hmm. you are already living the life of a monastic for you to really see, is this my cup of tea? And for the community to observe you and to also see, are you capable mm-hmm. of being a monastic? Is it is it mm-hmm. just a honeymoon idea? Like right. you're going to be in La La Land and like meditating <laughs> and levitating. Yeah. But actually... Becoming a monastic is just the first step. Once you're a monastic, there's a lot of internal work you're going to do. You're going to recognize your own suffering. You're going to recognize habits that are going to be telling you, what are you doing in this monastery? Mm -hmm. What are you doing with your life? And so you get to explore and experience this life already as an aspirant, as just a normal person. We do give you a particular robe. It's not brown, it's gray. So it tells you, you are training to become a monastic. Uh, and and at one like point- Like a Jedi. It's like a like Jedi. A Jedi. Yeah, exactly. It's like a Jedi, but you don't get the lightsaber yet. Oh, um, okay. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> so, and then when there is an ordination date, the community would meet. So on the monk side, the monks would meet for the men. And on the woman's side, the nuns would meet for um, the aspirant women. Mm. And there are a few criteria that we look at. Um, number one is, are you open enough to be trained? So let's say Rain and Raza, if you aspire to become a monastic, you're older than me in age. But if you become a monk, you're my younger brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so you would have to have the mind of wanting to learn. You have to learn to let go of your knowledge of the world in order to be retrained in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, another criteria is, can you live in harmony with us? Because we're very community-based. We all share rooms. We are a community of monks and nuns with over 30 nationalities. We come from different backgrounds. Um, some of us grew up Buddhist. Some of us grew up as Catholics, as Christians. Some of us didn't believe in anything. So just so many different backgrounds. But suddenly here we all are with a mind of wanting to have a higher awakening, a liberation from within. At the end of the day, there is a deep aspiration is for us to be more free, to be enlightened. But the question is always, what are we wanting to be free from? What are we wanting to be enlightened from? And for us, that comes in different stages. Okay, how's the food? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, the first training is entering into the kitchen. Everybody yes. needs to learn to cook rice, needs to learn to boil vegetable, needs to learn to um, fry tofu, needs to learn to make a dish for the community. 
That's we, part of oh. our training. We eat very well, Rain, but we eat a vegan diet. So it's, it's super, oh. you know, super healthy, super, super good for the body. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think, I think, think? Uh, I would like it uh, if for no other reason than uh, just to have, a, you know, a moment to myself. I have way too many kids as uh you may not know, but you can't use the monastery as a getaway from. I think it's a the, perfect your, excuse. It's the perfect excuse brood. to be able to say to my family, "I believe I'm being called to something much higher, <laughs> and I will be gone at least a <laughs> I long need some weekend. Time away. <laughs> at least a long weekend. We'll see." Did you know, Rezi, you can bring your kids to Plum Village? We're <gasps> one of the few monasteries that does retreats for whole families. But then, actually, so you bring your kids, and then the monks and nuns take care of the kids. And then, oh, and then you is... you have your retreat experience, and then the children oh are climbing God. trees and, I'm, and I'm playing. I'm literally um, writing this down system. right now. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and there's more than one Plum Village, right? There's one in near San Diego, right? There is. It I mean, is in Escondido. It's called Deer Park Monastery. Yeah, but okay. Park. But yeah. I mean, I don't want to. I mean, if it's like France or Escondido, I think. <laughs> That's pretty you gotta come to France. You obvious. Gotta come to France. Which one I'm gonna go to? But uh, but no, um, I'll take that. I'll take that under consideration. <laughs> okay, Sister True Dedication. I got a question. Thich Nhat Hanh said once, "The present moment is filled with joy and happiness. If you are attentive, you will see it." We've been talking about this for a little bit of time. People are using his ideas of mindfulness uh, as a tool to achieve this attentiveness. There is certainly a lot of stuff out there about mindfulness, but let me just tell you something. I set me straight because I have a big problem with the word mindfulness. I have a big issue with it, and that is this: my mind is my enemy. My mind is in a constant state of, you know, the Buddhist monkey mind. Um, it's comparing, it's contrasting, it's envious. It's judging. It's 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 ruminating. It's it's speculating. It's bouncing around. This is what my mind is doing all the time. So, if I, mindfulness to me sometimes feels like I need more mind in my life when actually I want less mind in my life. Yeah. Don't you think that we should call it beingfulness? What do you think? <laughs> I think that would be great. Feelingfulness, beingfulness. Mm. Okay. Um, some people like to say heartfulness. I think the idea hmm. is that when your mind, like my mind, when our mind is taking us away in a thousand directions, um, our mind is not right here and right now with our body, with what we're feeling, and especially with like what's going on around us. So the idea is it's like we we plug our mind back into our body, into our feelings. And so we just have a lot more sensory awareness of how our body is, how the coffee or tea is that we're drinking, how the people are that are around us. So in fact, it's like instead of our mind wandering in a thousand directions, it comes home and it kind of mm. opens up to what's happening. So I think that's maybe where the mindfulness is because it's like instead of mind craziness and mind um, going in a thousand directions, it's mind coming coming home. And I think the trick is that I think you're right about the, the mind part of it. Sometimes we say that how do you know you're in the present moment is like you can feel it, you can hear it, you can touch it. Like if you can hear the birds, you know you're in the present moment. If you can really taste the sweetness of your cookie, you know you're in the present moment. If you can smell the fragrance of your coffee or tea, you're in the present moment. So I think for me, 
mindfulness, it, it, it's it's much more of a felt sensation, and like you come to life, like you real you realize all these sensory inputs that are going on, and that's where I begin when I want to step back into the present moment when I realize my mind has taken me away somewhere else. Mm. I love the way that you're talking about this because, of course, mindfulness, you know, I mean, this is an ancient spiritual practice, not just, you know, in Buddhism, but in in so many religious traditions. It predates, you know, religion insofar as this idea of becoming one with the 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 universe and the present moment and and you know everything that, that entails, but of course, like most things, we've completely screwed it up. Uh, we've commodified it. We've commercialized it. It reminds me a lot of like what yoga has become in in some ways. You know, there are now all these mindfulness apps and and tools. I don't know if you're familiar with this mindfulness app Headspace. Right, it was invented by a Buddhist monk or a former Buddhist monk. Uh, you know, and it's now, it's worth $3 billion. So this is literally a multi-billion dollar industry uh, predicated on quote-unquote mindfulness. And so I wonder, like there's good and bad about it. And the yoga is a perfect analogy of this. I mean, I'm sure a lot of practitioners will say, well, yes, of course, a lot of the spirituality has been stripped of yoga, but it's still good. And people are still doing it. And who knows, it can, it can act as a kind of doorway to a much more meaningful spiritual practice instead of like a way to lose weight, you know? Um, I wonder, like, do you do you feel something similar with mindfulness and the way that it has become this kind of commodified, commercialized, you know, thing, which is, it's still good, but it's it's got all this like baggage now. How, how, do, you, how do you reconcile that, I wonder? I think how we reconcile is that we have to be the real mindfulness that people are seeking. And I think one of the things that people won't touch is the deep teachings of Buddhism because mindfulness is just a tiny speck of the whole teaching. And um, the reason why um, it has become what it is today is because of the human greed and the human... (laughs) Um, mind of wanting to profit out of it. But in before we used to have, um, our teacher used to tell us that there's always popular Buddhism and then deep Buddhism. Mm. And now I can say there's popular mindfulness and now there's going to be deeper mm. mindfulness. And actually, mindfulness is just one of the eight noble paths of the t- deep teaching of Buddhism. To be mindful is just one of it. You have to practice mindfulness in order to have right view. That's a whole training in itself to be more free in your views of life, in your views of good and bad, left and right, up and down, darkness and light. And then we have um, right speech. Mindfulness is not just breathing. Mindfulness is how are you speaking to your loved ones? How are you training your teach? Um, how are you training your children? How are you teaching them the way of life, but in a compassionate way. It's very easy to be angry, but are you mindful of the way you are expressing yourself? And then mindful action, the way we live our life, everything that we do every day, that is a signature that we are leaving behind. Um, I think you both are parents. So our teacher always says, you know, as parents, we're always giving to our children just by the way of our life. So our action 
is also a contribution. And so we have to be mindful of the way we are living our life. And then we have right livelihood. We have a deep aspiration to be peace, to to offer good to to life, to protect our planet. But are we living in a way that is speaking our deepest aspiration? We have to ask that. Um, there is um, right diligence. Are we are we even practicing what we are aspiring? Are we doing what we're telling other people to do? There there needs to be a diligence, and for us, that diligence comes to how are we taking care of our mind, our mental formations. Are we feeding our anger every day? Are we feeding our despair every day? Or are we learning from our suffering? Are we truly exploring to help civilization get out of the suffering that it is in? Or are we continuing to drown ourselves in it? And then there is mindfulness of concentration and then mindfulness of insight. So there's just so, it's so broad. And this is deep Buddhism. And mindfulness is just one of the keys, the bridges into a spiritual dimension. Um, the deeper teaching of mindfulness is also mindfulness of suffering. We have to practice to become aware of the suffering that is in us, around us, and also even go deeper, see the suffering that we have is connected to even our ancestors and then our civilization. And if we make a change today, that's also a transformation that we are doing for our whole ancestral mm -hmm. lineage. So mindfulness is just one of the teachings. And I think um, if somebody does go through an app and they figure out a technique of mindful breathing and that um, kicks in a, a curiosity and they want to go deeper, Plum Village, we hope that we will be that place that doesn't get lost and doesn't um, go in a direction that we try to commercialize, make money out of it. But it's more of like, mm. we are a spiritual refuge and that is what inspired us to join this monastic order, uh, inspired mm. us to become students of Zen Master Tikhan and mm. to be his continuation. Folks, we all have our favorite go-tos, right? Shirts, sweaters, jeans, the stuff you wear all the time. I mean, there are times when I will go like two, three days wearing the exact same black shirt over and over and over again. I've this morning, that. This, this is a true story. This morning, I got up, dressed, and realized that all my new go-tos are from the same place, Buck Mason. Buck Mason's clothes are second to none. They're timeless. They never go out of style. Everything I own fits great right out of the box and instantly becomes my new favorite item of clothing. And this is the best thing. Buck Mason makes all the essentials. There's jeans, shirts, jackets, all my go-tos, and so much more. I love the tailored look and fit of their t-shirts. Like They actually make me look skinnier than I, than I really am. Even after wearing them and putting them through wash after wash, they look just as good as when I first wore them, especially the curved hem tee. That's my new favorite. Yep. GQ loves it as much as I do. They call it the best t-shirt in the game, folks. Well, well, here's the thing. I'm always looking for a t-shirt that actually kind of fits my body. And um, they make fantastic t-shirts. It's hard to find the right t-shirts. You know, do you try the big brands? Mm -hmm. They don't fit your body the right way. Buck Mason t-shirts, A-OK -okay in my book. A-OK, -okay, Aslan. And once you try Buck Mason, they'll become your go-to favorite t-shirt 
too. All you got to do is head over to buckmason.com slash milkshake and you can get a free t-shirt with your first order. That's B-U-C-K-M-A-S-O-N, buckmason.com slash milkshake and get your free t-shirt with your first order. Buckmason.com slash milkshake. Milkshakers, let's get real. I think we can all probably up our fruit and veggie game. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, Reza? Oh, Don't you think? Tell me about it, man. I need I need more fruits and more veggies in my diet. But listen, I'm just, it's not going to happen unless it's easy. In fact, I made a New Year's resolution that this year I am going to keep my freezer stocked with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest is the easiest way to get more fruits and veggies into my day every day. They have my back with delicious food that's good for me and good for the planet. I'm not kidding. I have two refrigerators in my house because I have 14 children, and both of them are jam-packed with Daily Harvest. I got the Harvest Bowls. I got the flatbreads. I got the smoothies. I got the desserts that they've got, all built on organic fruits and veggies. They come right to my door, and it stays conveniently fresh in my freezer. What are your some of your favorite uh, Daily Harvest uh, items, Reza? Well, the smoothies are out of control good. I mean, they got like 14 different ingredients in them. It never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything, and that goes for everything. They have so many delicious options for every time of day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, or a snack. Daily Harvest has you covered. Daily Harvest is all about preserving and protecting the earth for current and future generations to come, from the recyclable and compostable packaging to investing in organic farming practices and reducing food waste, you can feel good about the choices you are making physically for the environment. Daily Harvest makes it easy to feel good about what I'm doing for myself and the planet, and you can feel the same way. All you got to do is go to dailyharvest.com milkshake, and you can get up to 40 bucks off your first box. That's Daily Harvest dot com slash milkshake and you'll get forty dollars off your first box dailyharvest.com slash milkshake the thing that kind of most intrigues me about uh, your master's work and your work is how you have to kind of go inside in order to go out your mindfulness practice unlike maybe say some other Buddhist traditions and other monastic traditions doesn't uh, advocate for disengagement with the world. But you talk about compassionate action. And I love that phrase as I was kind of studying about um, your master's work and your work, compassionate action. Nearly 50 years ago, Gary Snyder wrote, the mercy of the West has been social revolution. The mercy of the East has been individual insight into the basic self and void. And we need both. So you are self-described activist monks. I met you at a conference on climate change, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, Master Thich Nhat Hanh talked uh, about you being activist monks. Is it necessary to tend one's inner garden, including this practice of mindfulness? And you talked about the mindfulness of suffering as being kind of the next level in order to then go out and give service. So what is that relationship between the mindfulness work, the Buddhist work and practice that you do, and how does that connect to the moral imperative that includes compassionate action? 
So I think any activists and all the activists we meet, I think the biggest danger is burnout, right? And mm -hmm. even many of us who maybe not even don't even identify as activists, but it's very easy to burn out in uh, in life right now. I think uh, so many things are changing so fast, and so much destabilization is going on. And so the energy of mindfulness for us, we call mindfulness an energy. So that also sets us apart a little bit from maybe other folks who call it a tool or a method. For us, it's an energy that we generate every day with our way of breathing, our way of walking, our way of listening, and our way of being with one another. That's. I just want to pause for a second. If you forgive me, I'm not meaning to interrupt. Interrupt, but that is that's that's exceptionally revolutionary. I've never heard that before. Or thought of that before. Mindfulness not as a practice or a tool, but as an energy. So it, it it's an energy. It, it it fills your batteries or you 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 are able to draw a deep on a deeper kind of cosmic or divine energy from from practicing it yeah so say like you wake up in the morning and you're feeling rotten you roll out of bed and you know you're sitting on the edge of the bed your feet are on the floor if you take three full in breaths and out breaths and you're just like this is my life this is my day i'm still alive in those like three breaths, we would say you've generated a little bit of mindfulness. You've generated a great energy that will then hold you when you walk to the bathroom, right? And then at the bathroom, this is where the teeth brushing comes in. You look at the mirror and you smile and you're like, I am still alive. That mm. is me, <laughs> right? Mm. And then you brush your teeth with some awareness. How fantastic. I still have teeth to brush. Isn't it great? This is the only part of my skeleton I can see. You know, you have a great moment in front of the mirror brushing your teeth, right? You're generating an energy that's like embracing your life experience that day. And then when you turn around to the person you live with and they're having a bad morning, you have naturally this energy of presence and compassion to be able to embrace them because you've kind of arrived into your morning in a certain way. So it's exactly that. It's like a little battery. And every time you have a moment, these little islands of mindfulness in certain actions where you're really there feeling it, living it deeply, being in your body, being with the physical movement, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, you're just kind of like plugged in and plugged into life. And then that brings a different quality. So that's the the energy of mindfulness. It, it is a kind of superpower and all of us can have a little bit of it and we we generate it whenever we can throughout the day. And so as an activist, this is the energy that is holding us. This is the energy that's like kind of cushioning us as we go through the sequences of difficult and sometimes critical moments that happen in our activism and in our engagement in the world. This is a struggle that I have. And this is a leg legitimate and sincere struggle that I have with Western culture, especially in the kind of more liberal secular cities. Um, so much of people's quest for anything spiritual is simply because they feel anxious, disconnected, um, and directionless. And they're looking for some inner peace and some inner solace. And it ends there. And it stops there. And this becomes very solipsistic, where a yoga practice or a meditation practice is simply to reduce anxiety. And it isn't seen as a battery that charges as a force, um, as then listening to the bombs in the moment so that you go help the people in the bombed out villages. How can you, what would you say to 
people in contemporary America around this, this issue of kind of almost a selfish use of the mindfulness practice simply to just kind of make their lives a little bit more tolerable. I'm sorry that I'm a little bit, <laughs> I have a little bit of bitterness and anger around this because I, I, I find it incredibly frustrating. Maybe we wouldn't call that mindfulness. I think we would call that like kind of panacea, like we'd call it, it's, it's, it's something you're not trying to wake up. You're, you're actually helping yourself be a bit more comfortable, a bit more asleep, and just to get through the day and keep it all going as is. So I think we wouldn't recognize that as actually a, what we call mindfulness, which is a kind of spiritual energy that helps you wake up to see your life more clearly and to see what's going on around you more clearly. And then when you see things clearly, the, the ethical action, the motivation, the intention, the change is automatically triggered and put in place because as, as Brother Fapu was saying, you see the suffering, you want to bring relief. You see the suffering of your colleagues, your family members, you want to help. Like There's this sort of dynamism in real mindfulness, which is an awakening to suffering, which leads to a deep wish to change and for action and movement. And if we're using mindfulness as a kind of something to consume, a kind of comfort food, then, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't really call it awakening. I wouldn't call it the kind of mindfulness that we recognize as that energy that really helps open your eyes and open your heart. And in in all truthfulness, thank you so much for saying that. That's so beautifully and perfectly said, and that really helps my heart to hear it. And uh, really thank you for that answer. As a matter of fact, it really gets to the heart of why we wanted to speak with you guys, because I think, you know, most people, when you um, talk to them about monasticism, you know, what they think of is withdrawal and isolation and rejection of the world. You know, uh, it's a purely internal exercise. You know, I think that's the general impression that a lot of people have about, oh, you're a monk? Would you just like sit cross-legged and think about stuff, <laughs> you know, all day long? And what's, what's amazing about what you guys do is that that internal work has, is a means to an end. The, the end is the external, right? That it begins inside, but it doesn't end there. That it's about taking it out into the world. Um, sister, I think you once said something along the lines of, we need to act with the urgency of today and the patience of a thousand years. Like that's a great line that kind of perfectly encapsulate this belief system that it's, you recognize the way that Thich Nhat Hanh did, you know, that we are facing a world that is on fire right now. We've got, we've got a, a global pandemic where we have a ground war in Europe. I mean, uh, you know, enormous economic uh, upheavals, uh, widening gap between the the poor and the rich, repressive state-sponsored violence, death death of democracies around the world. Um, here in the United States, the, the kind of unhealable partisan divide, racism, you know, uh, sexism. And don't get me started. By the way, we also have an ecological collapse around the corner. So all of that is with the the fact that the planet is slowly dying. And so, you know, I've thought about that. I talked to Wayne about this. I've talked about this on the show, that sometimes when faced with these kinds of issues and conflicts, I think to myself, 
It's too much. I think, you know, maybe I'll just go be a monk. Maybe I'll just go and ignore the world and just, you know, go internal and just be inside. And what I love about what you're saying is that's the opposite of what it means to be a monk. That it's it's about engaging precisely with the world, but from a place of inner peace and inner understanding. And I just think, you know, if there's any kind of advice that you could give to our listeners, people like us who, you know, maybe we don't have the ability to to do what you have done, but but are inspired to kind of focus on the inside so that we can then put our gaze outside. Um, you know, what what can you tell us? What can you tell us, you know, for those of us who are really on the verge of just kind of giving up <laughs> and saying, you know what, forget it all. It's uh it's all on fire and I'm I'm just not gonna think about it anymore. I think don't underestimate um, the the mind of love. That is one. Number two is to have this insight that our teacher have made up this new word that he's still trying to put into the dictionary. He mm. keeps, keeps talking about it. And it's this insight of deep Buddhism that everything is interconnected. And the language, the word that he came up with is interbeing. This is because that is. Everything is so connected to each other. And if we have this insight, we can remove more and more discrimination. We can remove more and more separation of the differences that we see, the idea of happiness, the idea of suffering. And I think the more that we can be free from particular views that we have, what is happiness, we can find a new way. And I think this particular moment, this crisis that you just explained, uh, it is very overwhelming, but it is also humans that made it, but it is also humans that can wake up and can be a spark of hope and a spark of change. And transformation is possible because everything is of the nature of impermanence. What is today can change tomorrow. And that depends on everyone's action of body, speech, and mind. And the insight of interbeing also tells me that you don't have to do this alone. That there are those that are around the globe that has the same aspiration. And one of our teacher's biggest aspiration is to have more and more mindful communities around the world where we can come together, we can sit, we can share our suffering, we can share the difficulties, but then we can find a way to take the next step. Um, there's this story that, um, that motivates me every time I want to give up. Um, and, and, and this comes from, um, during the Vietnam War, uh, when Tai and his young social workers were going to help rebuild bomb villages, and there was a particular village that kept getting bombed. And by the third time that it was bombed, and Tai and told his um, his uh, social worker, "We're going to go again." And one of them said, "Tai, is it even worth it if we know that tomorrow it will be bombed again?" And that was a voice of despair. And Tai took a pause and I think it really hit him too. And he had to dig deep inside. And he said that, yes, we do. Because our action 
will light up hope. It will tell the people that there are those around that care for them. So every time that you do fall into a moment of despair and you want to give up, you still know that there are actions that you can offer today. It may be, it may seem very little, but it may have a very big impact down the road. And what Tai and his social worker offer is that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope because our action is showing that humanity will come together to help the, the suffering that is present. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Sister True Dedication, Brother Fapu, thank you so much. That is uh, exquisite wisdom brought to you from the delightful grounds of the Plum Village Monastery in Southern France. You're staying up late to talk to us. We really appreciate that. We want to let you go. Um, and But before we do, it's something we do in every episode. We want to take you through some lightning round questions. We're going to, this is perhaps not in the spirit of your Buddhist practice, but we're <laughs> going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to throw some profound and also ridiculous questions your way. And just the first thing that comes into your mind, I guess we can just kind of tag team. We'll start with Brother Fapu, and then we'll just go back and forth and toss these little uh, thought grenades at you. Uh, Brother Fapu, um, if you could colonize Mars, would you? No. <laughs> you have to think about You'd it be for the a little first bit. Buddhist no. on Mars. No, I want to take care of Earth. I, I like Earth right now. All right. For now. <laughs> he really thought about that. He really thought about that. Did you see? I did think about that. Sister True Dedication, um, what is one skill you wish you had? Uh, being able to sing beautifully. Well, you, you have a lovely voice. You have a beautiful talking voice. I have a spoken voice. I don't have a, a, a singing voice. But then, hey, here, this is how it goes. If I would have been able to sing, I think I would have gone into theater and performing arts. Uh, so I made peace with this a couple of years into being a nun. And I was like, it's okay that I can't sing because if I was, if I could sing, I would never have made it into the monastery uh, and I'd probably be an alcoholic by now in yeah. performing arts. That's right. So I was like, okay, like this is fine. <laughs> Exactly. You'd be an alcoholic like me, like smoking cigarettes in Los Angeles, <laughs> unemployed and bitter. And instead you're uh, changing the world, inspiring the world. Um, Brother Fapu, uh, if you could have lunch with any author, past or present, who would it be and why? Ooh, with an author. Is the Buddha an author? <laughs> I would want to have sure. lunch with the Buddha. Yeah, sure. And I would yeah. like to just see how he eats his meal and if he was actually super mindful like my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, okay, uh, Sister True Dedication, name something a lot of people like but that you can't stand. Okay, shiitake mushrooms. Ah, <laughs> Shiitake mushrooms. You know, it's just, I mean, I love mushrooms. I love, I guess I love mushrooms that kind of, that are, that are not like a sort of um, sea vegetable that's going to come up and eat you from I the inside. I don't know. There's feel something the same way. That's, that's so strong about these mushrooms. <laughs> I feel the same way. We've asked these questions dozens and dozens of times, obviously never to monks. And now I understand why we don't ask these <laughs> questions. 
to monks. First of all, monks apparently have no conception of lightning round. You know, you ask them a question, they're like, let me meditate on that for about four minutes of silence. <laughs> I know. Four minutes of radio silence. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, your editor will make it as <laughs> yeah, though you answer right away. So. <laughs> and then the things lightning. that they answer, they're like, you know, what is, what is one thing? I guess shiitake mushrooms. Yeah, that's, that's about it. <laughs> Um, Brother Fapu, if you if you were stranded on a desert island, what are three items that you would take with you? Okay, a teapot. Oh, good one. Tea. Yeah, you do. You gotta do those. And a water boiler. <laughs> it's all That's, about the tea. It's all about do the you, tea. Do you have a tea addiction, brother? We all do. We all do. So <laughs> this is the one thing that we are allowed to enjoy. So we get, we've given up alcohol, meat, a lot of worldly entertainment, but tea is our go-to. This uh-huh. is how we party. This is how monastic party. Come and have a cup of tea with me. <laughs> wow. Party in the monastery. <laughs> And then last but not least, and this is a question for each of you, and sister, why don't you start? What is your life's big question? Am I enough? How can I be enough? I relate. Mm, wow. <laughs> how, how, how do you go after that? Um, big question. The perfect response would be, is sister true dedication enough? <laughs> <laughs> How do we move forward? That is my question. That I meditate on a lot. Beautiful. Sister and brother, thank you so much for your time. Uh, This has been a beautiful, profound, and deeply moving conversation. I think you will have brought some peace, a little peace and enlightenment to everyone that has listened to this. And I can't thank you enough. Wow, what a conversation. Uh, That was so moving. I was so, uh, and I am so awestruck by their work and their spirit, the power of that, their recharged mindfulness, spiritual batteries, that power just comes through. Like I felt all of a sudden, like I was really wound up this morning and I was like seven minutes into that interview and I just Ah, oh, my shoulders just went down right? by about yeah. three or four inches. I started <laughs> noticing my breath. I was listening much more keenly and carefully than I usually do. Um, really transformative. You know, I and I, I I'll be honest. I was kind of nervous about this podcast uh, because I don't know. Maybe it's because I think that monks have like um, mindfulness X-ray vision. Like they 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 would be able to see through my body and realize, you know. <laughs> See, see what a shallow, yeah, yeah exactly. what, what a like, shallow, petty, you know, unspiritual. Yeah, well, I, I, I yeah. see you, Reza. I see you. Uh, so, but yeah, they were just wonderful. And I loved, you know, exactly kind of what we've always talked about, you know, in, in, in so many different ways about living out your morality and inner peace is the beginning of, of the striving for activism and engagement uh, with the world, but how important it is to kind of start with yourself. I mean, going back to the the social media conversation we were having at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, you did. And and for those listeners who, who don't know, you did, um, in, inspired by uh, Dr. Anna Lemke and her writings about dopamine, you did a dopamine fast, which for you had a lot to do with Twitter because you would endlessly poop in Twitter and check your Twitter and right. retweet 
angrily and reactively. So you took a month off from that. You got a little clarity. And so now, now what? I took What's a month off chapter? of it. I, I got a, I got a little bit of clarity. Um, and then, and then I was like, okay, well, you know, it's been a month. Let me go back in and see, and see where, where I am. And I got online and, you know, wanted to kind of start, you know, talking about football, all these exciting trades happening. The draft is coming up. And I was like, okay, I want to kind of get that. That seems like a safe way back into Twitter. You know, I'm not talking about war or politics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, oh man, let me tell you, Rain, I was on Twitter for about four minutes and I was like, I hate everyone. On this thing, like it was, <laughs> it was so weird to be back and just be like, "This place sucks. These people suck." I I've been on it for four minutes. I'm already in a bad mood, and uh, mm. you know, I I so I just kind of got off again, and yeah, I've gone on for a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there, you know. Uh, but I feel like I've I've really. I get this idea, and I'm not saying that I'm like ready to go join Plum Village, <laughs> not yet. Plus, right, just my hair is magnificent. Like, could you, could you imagine? Yes. It's mean, a very, it's a distinguished gray and a full head of hair. So it's so full and full of light. Like, the, it would be like a crime against humanity to cut this hair. A crime um, against God, really. Folks, maybe we inspired you to become monks. You know. Um, and if not monks, maybe monks in your own life to bring a practice of uh, deep mindfulness, uh, which then leads to a mindfulness of suffering, your own and others, and which then leads to action, because that's the whole GD point of it all, Reza, is not just to feel a little bit better uh -huh. so that you can try and make more money and continue with your crazy, hectic, meaningless life but actually work at making the world a slightly better place. And then, and here's the key, here's the key. And then in that action, that's where enlightenment comes, right? It's not like mm. you go inside, you get enlightened, and then you go do things. It's like, that's the, that's the process, like you, inside, outside, then enlightenment. Yeah, I view it as like a yin and yang. Yeah. Like you, you charge your batteries and that's that, energy, then you take that out, you give that to the world, you're expending your energy, you run out, you go in again. There's a cyclical process happening. But um, we'd love to hear from you folks. Do you have a cyclical mindfulness process happening? One good way to reach us is to just hit us up on our social medias. You can find those pretty easily. Uh, you can also follow on Instagram uh, at Metaphysical Milkshake. And uh, at Metamilk Podcast on Twitter, or review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a positive review. Leave us your life's big question. We'll track you down. I still don't know how they do that. Somehow or other, they'll attempt to track you down from that and bring you on the show because we love to have fan guests on the show interacting with us, asking their life's big pertinent question. Thank you so much again to Brother Fapu and Sister True. Dedication. Okay, Milkshake Ears, as you know, when you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and you ask some big life question, 
you get to come on our show and ask that question of us. And who knows, maybe even get an answer that has something to do with the topic that you are asking about, but very likely not. Uh, And today's guest is Liz from California. Hi, Liz. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Where in California are you calling from? I am here from sunny Los Angeles. (laughs) Hey, that's where I live. (laughs) Maybe we'll run into each other some point in life here in LA. <laughs> I hope I hope we will. And until that time comes, why what brings you to the old milkshake bar? What do you got? You got a question you need to put in the blender? See what I did there, Reza? Yeah, you really extended that metaphor until it was finally just yeah. like begging for death. But uh, go ahead, Liz. Yeah, so this is a question that has been I guess, racking my brain for a while. And it has to do with the feeling of when you have chemistry with someone. Because when we talk about chemistry or when I ask people about chemistry, it always seems like this mysterious, unseen force that I feel like only humans really understand or that we actually feel. And we only really know that because we've experienced this whenever we have chemistry with someone, or we've also experienced when there is a total absence of chemistry. And popularly, we know romantic chemistry, but there's also chemistry between friends and business partners, (laughs) podcast hosts. Exactly. You two have a specific kind of chemistry that comes off when you talk with each other and creative chemistry as well. So my question is, what exactly is chemistry to you and what do you think is the purpose Mm. of it as human beings? I I mean, you know, for me, it's funny because I I don't think that this is really um, all that kind of mysterious, you know, because there's so much science now about the, the, the chemical reactions that are involved, you know, when it comes to um, attraction, right? Like the, the testosterone and the estrogen levels that suddenly spike when you see someone that you're attracted to, or like the dopamine levels, which we've been talking about a lot, you know, um, serotonin rushes that you get when like somebody, you know, when you touch someone in a, in a certain way. But even, you know, I think about my relationship with my wife um, and so much of it is chemical. It's crazy, you know. Like the wait, what? She is. She's like my oxytocin dosage. You know, like there's like I I find myself in need of uh, touching her or smelling her. You know, like it's it's like whatever the the chemicals are inside me and whatever is inside her. From like the second we set eyes on each other, they just pulled us towards each other. Um, and, and I've also like had experiences where I've been with, seen someone that I like physically I'm attracted to, like, this is an attractive person. I, I, you know, and they are fun and funny and they have a great personality, but I, there's just something, you know, like, I it's just like a, the way that their skin smells or there's just a, like a, a real chemical 
kind of opposition. This is very, this is very getting very inappropriately sexual all of a sudden. I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it eventually gets down to. to I feel like to I'm getting to know, and then Reza and then Reza will be like, and then Jessica and I, when we make love, oh, it's like I've talked about our love making on this podcast a few times now. Let's not. <laughs> we don't need to get too involved in it. All I'm saying is that like. I am a hundred percent like firm believer in the science of attraction, you know, that I really do think it's, it's like at a deep chemical bond level. And by the way, I would say, I I, I feel like that that's true, even like non-sexually a little bit. You know, we did, we had, we did this uh, podcast episode, one of my favorites, uh, where we talked to um, uh, uh, Uncle Rhett, Rain's, Rain's uncle. Yes. Mm-hmm. About beauty. attraction and like beauty and what like beauty mm. actually does to you. And I made a confession uh, and Rain made fun of me. I made a confession that like if I were to be perfectly honest with you, all of my friends, the friends that I that I'm closest to, I'm also attracted to. And friends that I've had for a long time that you would think we would get closer and closer I think part of the reason why I'm not closer and closer is because I'm not physically attracted to them and it keeps me from getting any closer. I think that applies to this. I, I really think that it's like this chemical thing that's happening. That's I'm Reza's one unattractive friend no, that he allows you in expect, his life. Rain, Liz, when I see you, well, by I, the I, way, I, I just so, want to like rub my body um, all over you. I want to like, I want to take, I want to dive headfirst into your belly button sometimes. Yeah, you know, Liz, I, I don't I don't know much about it. This is a great question. I haven't thought much about it, but the, the, what comes to mind for me is I agree with Reza that it's it may be not any kind of mystical thing. It's just two energies coming together. And I feel like when you have a great chemistry between two people, um, then it kind of creates a a third person. Like there's person one, person two, and then there's the entity number three, like when those two people are together, that's larger than the sum of its parts. And that's um, that's pretty cool, I think. And there is a spiritual dimension to that in that this larger than the sum of its parts energy can perhaps help make the world a better place and can be harnessed and utilized in some way. And there isn't just that chemistry. There can also be a chemistry of when a, when a group of people come together and then a community of people come together and then a, a, a tribe and a, a state, a, a village and a state and a, and a nation of people coming together. And maybe that's the kind of chemistry we're all trying to build down here on planet Earth. Maybe we've focused too much in the Western world on sexual and romantic chemistry, <clears throat> Reza, and not focused so much on kind of uh, proactive spiritual chemistry. What do you think, Liz? Well, I've spoken to a couple of my friends about this question just to see what they, what they answer, what they describe when it comes to chemistry. And just taking all that in, I'm still trying to figure that out myself, but the best way that I can explain it is I feel like as humans, we have some sort of energy, whether if it's like aura or, you know, we're, we're projecting some kind of energy out into the world. Uh-huh. And when we do that and when we do have an interaction with someone, I feel like we're vibrating at some frequency. Let's say like the frequency is here, right? But then when we interact with someone and then their frequency just happens to be that same 
frequency, that's kind of like the matching where it becomes kind of like a synergistic kind of interaction with someone where it feels easy because whenever people talk about having chemistry, it's not forced and there's some sort of ease or you kind of feel like you've known this person for a while, but you really haven't, but just something clicks with you. Um, Hmm. So that's kind of what I think about chemistry. But then I also think about chemistry as like, let's say two people are reactants and they just, they create a product, whatever that product is. But then chemistry is kind of like the catalyst Mm. that kind of makes it go faster or kind of has like, kind of like that explosive kind of effect in a reaction where chemistry, when you feel it, it, it hits you, you know, exactly that it is chemistry. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of my idea of what chemistry is. It's not very, you know, scientific, even though I am kind of speaking on scientific terms in that way, but I feel like it's a lot to do with energy and kind of a matching that happens with people. Um, but then I also wonder if chemistry is something that is instant. Like, is it something that you either have or you don't with someone upon first meeting? Or do you think that it can be developed over time? And if it's developed over time, is that really chemistry or is it now something else? Yeah, those are, yeah that's a good, those are good questions. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, if it's chemistry, it's like an instant thing, but I suppose you could eventually, you know, it's it's the same way that they talk about how like dog owners and their dogs start to look alike after a while. <laughs> um, I can see that kind of working, but I don't know. Maybe it's not nearly as romantic as the instant instant chemical reaction. What do you think, Wayne? I, I feel a little out of my depth, to be perfectly honest. I think you've kind of stumped us. Well, stumped you, but okay. You've stumped me. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everybody. On behalf of the Las Vegas Raiders and everyone here at Cast Media and Metaphysical Milkshake and the Las Vegas Raiders, (laughs) thank you so much for tuning in. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Eris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. What do, what do you think, Ren? You ready? Are you ready to get your gray robe? Well, I'm not, Reza, because here's the problem. Look at my head. I mean, it's enormous. I think you'd look and great, Ren. Sister, oh. true dedication, you have no idea what this watermelon would look like. Yeah, I would get I would get run out of Plum Village. <laughs> you'd look fabulous. You'd breathe mindfully you'd walk mindfully it would all look great it would it would be wonderful <laughs> <laughs>